0: CHAPTER THREE OF THE INNER SHRINE BY BASIL KING. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. CHAPTER THREE In the private office of the great Franco-American banking house of Van Tromp and Co., the partners, having finished their conference, were about to separate. "'That's all, I think,' said Mr Grimston. He rose with a jerky movement which gave him the appearance of a little figure shot out of a box.' Mr. Van Tromp remained seated at the broad flat-top desk, his head bent at an angle which gave Mr. Grimston a view of the tips of shaggy eyebrows, a broad nose, and that peculiar kind of protruding lower lip before which timid people quail. As there was no response, Mr. Grimston looked round vaguely on the sombre, handsome furnishings, fixing his gaze at last on the lithographed portrait of Mr. Van Tromp Senior, the founder of the house. "'hanging above the mantelpiece. "'That's all, I think,' Mr Grimston repeated, "'raising his voice slightly in order to drown the rumble "'that came through the open windows from the Rue Aubert. "'Suddenly Mr Van Tromp looked up. "'I have just had a letter,' he said in a tone "'indicating an entirely new order of discussion, "'from a person who signs herself Diana. "'Is it Diane? Eve left.' "'Oh, Diane, she's written to you, has she?' "'came from Mr Grimston.' as his partner searched with short-sighted eyes for the letter in questioner among the papers on his desk. You know her, then? Of course I know her. You ought to know her, too. You would if you didn't shut yourself up in the office, away from the world. No, I don't recall that I've ever met the lady. Now, ah, here's the note. Just sit down a minute while I read it. Mr Grinsome shot back into his seat again, while Mr Van Tromp wiped his large circular glasses. Dear Mr Van Tromp she begins, I am most anxious to talk to you on very important business, and would take it as a favour if you would let me call on Tuesday morning and see you very privately. Your sincerely, Diana, Eveleth. That's all. Now, what do you make of it? A straight smile, which was all the facial expression Mr. Grimston ever allowed himself, became visible between the lines of his closely clipped moustache and beard. He took his time before speaking, enjoying the knowledge that so this was one of those social junctures in which he had his senior partner so conspicuously at a disadvantage. "'It's a bad business, I'm afraid,' he said, as though summing up rather than beginning. "'What does the woman want with me?' "'That, I fear, is painfully evident. "'You must have heard of the Evelyth smash a couple of months ago. "'Let me see. I think it was just when you were in New York. "'No, you'd be likely not to hear of it. "'The Evelyths have so carefully cut their American acquaintance for so many years—' that they've created a kind of vacuum around themselves, out of which the noise of their doings doesn't easily penetrate. They belong to that class of American Parisians who pose for going only into French society. I know the kind. Mrs Grimston could tell you all about them, of course. Equally at home as she is, in the best of French and American circles, she hears a great many things she'd rather not hear. She needn't listen to them. "'Unfortunately, a woman in her position, with a daughter like Marion, is obliged to listen. "'But that's rather the end of the story. "'And I want the beginning, Grimston, if you don't mind. "'I want to know why this Diane should be after me.' "'She's after money,' Mr Grimston declared bluntly. "'She's after money, and you'd better let me manage her. "'It would save you the trouble of the refusal you'll be obliged to make.' "'Well, tell me about her, and I'll see.' Mr. Grimston stiffened himself in his chair and cleared his throat. Diane Eveleth, he stated with slow, significant emphasis, is an extremely fascinating woman. She has probably turned more men round her little finger than any other woman in Paris. Is that to her credit or her discredit? I don't want to say anything against Mrs. Eveleth, Mr. Grimston protested. I wish she hadn't come near us at all. As it is, you must be forewarned. I'm not particular about that if you'll give me the facts. That's not so easy. Where facts are so deucedly disagreeable, a fellow finds it hard to trot out any poor little woman in her weaknesses. I must make it clear beforehand that I don't want to say anything against her. It's in confidence, privilege, as the lawyers say. I shan't think the worst of her. That is not much. Poor Diane. Mr. Crimson began again, sententiously. Is one of the bits of human wreckage that have drifted down to us from the pre-revolutionary days of French society. Our grandfather, the old Comte de la Frenese, belonged to that order of irreconcilable royalists who persist in dashing themselves to pieces against the rising wall of democracy. I remember him perfectly. handsome old fellow who'd lost an arm in the Crimea. He used to do business with us when I was with Hagu in the Rue de Provence. Having impoverished himself in a plot in favour of the Comte de Champaud, somewhere about eighteen seventy-two, he came utterly to grief in raising funds for the boulanger craze in the train of the Duchesse d'Usay. He died shortly afterwards, one of the last to break his head over the hopeless Bourbon cause. That I understand you to say was the grandfather of the young woman who is after money. She's a Frenchwoman, then. She's half French. That was her grandfather. "'The father was of much the same type, but a lighter weight. "'He married an Irish beauty, a Miss O'Hara, as poor as himself. "'He died young, I believe, and I'd lost sight of the lot, "'till this Mademoiselle Diane de la Faranaise floated into view "'some five years ago in the train of the Nohant family. "'Our marriage to George Evelith, which took place almost at once, "'was looked upon as an excellent thing all round. "'It read the Nohants of a poor relation and helped to establish the Eveliths in the heart of the old aristocracy. Since then, Diane has been going the pace. What pace? The pace the Evelith money couldn't keep up with. The pace that made her the most talked-of woman in a society where women are talked of more than enough. The pace that led George Evelith to put a bullet through his head under pretense of fighting a mule. Dear me, dear me, most unusual young woman, do you tell me that her husband actually put an end to himself? So I understand. The affair was a curious one, but Bienville swears he fired into the air. and I believe him. Besides, George Eveneth was found shot through the temple, and no one but himself could have inflicted a wound like that. To make it conclusive, Melcott and Vernois, who were seconds, testified to having seen the act without having the time to prevent it. You can see that it is a relief to me to be able to take this view of the case on poor Marion's account. Marian, your daughter, was she mixed up in the affair? Mixed up is a little too much to say. I don't mind telling you in confidence that there was something between her and Bienville. I don't know where it might have ended, but, of course, when all this happened and we got wind of Bienville's entanglement with Mrs Eveleth, we had to put a stop to the thing and pack her off to America. She'll stay there with her aunt, Mrs Bayford, till it blows over. And your friend Bienville? Hasn't he brought himself within the clutches of the law? George Eveleth was officially declared a suicide. He had every reason to be one, though I don't want to say anything against Mrs. Eveleth. When Bienville refused to put an end to him, he evidently decided to do it himself. His family know nothing about that, so please don't let it slip out if you see Diane. With her notions, the husband fallen in her cause has perished on the field of honour, and if it was any comfort to her, Let her keep it. As for Bienville, he's joined young Persigny, the explorer, in South America. By the time he returns, the affair will have been forgotten. He's a nice young fellow, and it's a thousand pities you should have fallen into the net of a woman like Mrs. Evelift. I don't want to say anything against her, you understand. Oh, quite, but... Mr. Grimston pronounced the word with a hard-drawn breath and presented the appearance of a man who restrains himself. He was still endeavouring to maintain this attitude of repression when a discreet tap on the door called from Mr Van Tromp, a draft. Come in. The young man entered with a card. She's here, the banker grunted, reading the name. Mr Grimstone shot up again. Better let me see her, he insisted in a warning tone. No, no, I'll have a look at her myself. Bring the lady in, he added to the young man in waiting. Then I'll skip, said Mr Grimston. "'suiting the action to the word by disappearing in one direction "'as Diane entered from another. "'Mr. Van Tromp rose heavily and surveyed her "'as she crossed the floor toward him. "'He had been expecting some such seductive French beauty "'as he had occasionally seen on the stage "'on the rare occasions when he went to a play, "'so that the trimness of this little figure in widow's dress "'with white bands and cuffs, after the English fashion, "'somewhat disconcerted him. Unaccustomed to the ways of Banks, Diane half offered her hand, but as he was on his guard against taking it, she stood still before him. Mrs. Evelift, I believe, he said when he had surveyed her well, have the goodness to, to sit down and tell me what I can do for you. Diane took the seat he indicated, which left a discreet space between them. The heavy black satchel she carried she placed on the floor beside her. When she raised her veil, Mr. Van Tromp observed to himself that the pale face touching in expression, and the brown eyes in which there seemed to lurk a gentle reproach against the world for having treated her so badly, were exactly what he would have expected in a woman coming to borrow money. I've come to see you, Mr. Van Tromp, Diane began timidly, because I thought that perhaps you might know who I am. "'I don't know anything at all about you,' was the not encouraging response. "'Of course, there's no reason why you should,' Diane hastened to say apologetically. "'None whatever,' he assured her. "'Only that a good many people do know us. "'I dare say I haven't the honour to be among the number. "'And I thought that possibly, just possibly, you might be predisposed in my favour. "'A banker is never predisposed in favour of anyone.' not even his own flesh and blood. I didn't know that, Diane persisted bravely. Otherwise, I might just as well have gone to anybody else. Just as well? Would you like me to go now? The question took him by surprise, and before replying, he looked at her again with queer, bulgy eyes peering through big, circular glasses, in a way that made Diane think of an ogre in a fairy tale. You're not here for what I like, he said at last, but for what you want yourself. That's true, Diane admitted ruefully, but I might go away. I will go away, if you say so. You'll please yourself. I didn't send for you, and I'll tell you to go. How old are you? It was Diane's turn to be surprised, but she brought out her age promptly. Twenty-four. You look older. That's because I've had so much trouble, perhaps. It's because we're in trouble that I've come to you, Mr. Van Tromp. I dare say, I didn't suppose you'd come to ask me to dinner. There are not many days go by without someone expecting me to pull him out of the scrape he would never have got into if it hadn't been for his own fault. I'm afraid that's very like my case. It's Like a good many cases, you're no exception to the rule. And what do you do at such times, if I may ask? You may ask, but I'll not tell you. You're here on your own business, I presume, and not on mine. I thought that perhaps you'd be good enough to make mine yours. Though we've never met, I have seen you at various times, and it always seemed to me that you look kind, and so... Stop right there, ma'am, he cried, putting up a warning hand. Most important business is what you said in your note, otherwise I shouldn't have consented to see you. If you have any business, state it, and I'll say yes or no, as it strikes me. But I'll tell you beforehand that there isn't a chance in a thousand but what it'll be, no.' I did come because I thought you'd look kind, Diane declared indignantly. And if you think it was for any other reason, whatever, you're absolutely mistaken. Then we'll let it be. I can't help my looks, nor what you think about them. The point is that you're here for something, so let's know what it is. You make it very hard for me, Diane said, almost cheerfully. But I'll try. I must tell you, first of all, that we've lost a great deal of money. That's no new situation. It is to me, and it's even more so to my poor mother-in-law. I should think you must have heard of her, at least. She is Mrs Arthur Eveleth. Her maiden name was Naomi de Reuter of New York. Very likely. Her husband was related on his mother's side to the Van Tromps. The same family as your own. That's more likely still. "'There are as many van tromps in New York as there are shrimps on the Breton coast, "'and they're all related to me because I'm supposed to have a little money.' "'I shan't let you offend me,' Diane said stoutly, "'because I want your help.' "'That's a very good reason. "'But since you take so little interest in us, "'I will not attempt to explain how it is that we've come to such misfortune.' "'I'll take that for granted.' The blow has fallen more heavily on my mother-in-law than on me. She has lost everything she had in the world, while I have still my own money, my dough, and a little over from the sale of my jewels. Well, if you'd ever seen her, you would know how terrible, how impossible such a situation is for her. She's the sort of woman who ought to have money, who who must have money. And so I thought if I came to you, I'd give her some. no. Diane said quickly, with a renewed touch of indignation, but that you'd help me to do it. He looked at her with an odd upward glance under his shaggy overhanging brows, while the protruding lower lip went a shade further out. Help you to do it? How? By letting her have mine. Again he looked at her, almost suspiciously. You've got plenty to give away, I suppose? On the contrary, I've pitifully little. But such as it is, I want her to have it all. She could live on it, with economy, or at least she says I could. And can't you? I don't want to. As there isn't enough for two, I wish to settle it on her. Isn't that the word, settle? It'll do as well as another. And what do you propose to do yourself? Work. Diane forced the word and a little gasp of humiliation, but she got it out. And what will you work at? I don't know exactly. I shall have to see. My mother-in-law is going to America. When she does, I'll join her. My good woman, you wouldn't do more than just keep ahead of starvation. Oh, I shouldn't expect to do more. If I succeeded in that, I should live. How much money have you got? It's all here, she answered, picking up the black satchel and opening it. These are my securities, and I am told they are very good. And do you take them round with you every time you go shopping? No, Diane smiled somewhat wanly. They have been in the hands of the Messrs Agu for a good many years past. They are entirely at my disposal. Not in trust, they said, so that I had a right to take them away. I thought I would just bring them to you. What for? To keep them for my mother-in-law and pay her the interest, or whatever it is. Why didn't you leave them with Argu? I was afraid, from some things he said, he would object to what I wanted to do. And what made you think I wouldn't object to it too? Two or three reasons. First, Monsieur Argu is not an American, and you are. And I've been told that Americans always like to help one another. I don't know who could have put that notion into your head. And then, from the few glimpses I've had of you, I will say it. I thought you looked kind. Well, now that you've had a better look, you see I don't. How much money have you got? You haven't told me that yet. Here's a memorandum. They said they were mostly bonds, and very good ones. With a slip of paper in his hand, the banker leaned back in the chair and took a little longer than was necessary to scan the poor little list. In reality, he was turning over in his mind the unexpected features of the case, venturing a peep at Diane as she sat meekly awaiting the end of his perusal. "'Hasn't it occurred to you,' he asked at last, "'that you could leave your affairs in Argo's hands "'and still turn over to your mother-in-law whatever sons he paid you?' "'Yes, but she wouldn't take the money unless she thought it was her very own.' "'But it isn't her very own, it's yours.' "'I want to make it hers. I want to transfer it to her absolutely, "'so that no one else, not even I,' shall have a claim upon it. There must be ways of doing that. There are ways of doing that, but as far as she's concerned, it comes to the same thing. If she won't touch the income, she will refuse to accept the principle. I thought of that too, and it's among the reasons why I've come to you. I hoped you'd help me. To tell a lie about it. I should think it might be done without that. My mother-in-law is a very simple woman in business affairs, "'She has been used all her life to having money paid into her account "'when she had only the vaguest idea as to where it came from. "'If you should write to her now "'and say that some small funds in her name were in your hands "'and that you would pay her the income at stated intervals, "'nothing would seem more natural to her. "'She would probably attribute it to some act of foresight on her son's part "'and never think I had anything to do with it at all.' Three or four minutes he sat in meditation.' still glancing at her furtively under his shaggy brows, while she waited for his decision. "'I don't approve of it at all,' he said at last. "'Don't say that,' she pleaded. "'I hope so much that you'd—' "'At the same time, I won't say that the thing isn't feasible. "'I'll just verify these bonds and certificates and—' "'He took them one by one from the bag, "'and having compared them with the list, replaced them. "'And,' he continued, "'you can come and see me again at this time tomorrow." morrow Oh, thank you. You can thank me when I've done something, not before. Very likely I shan't do anything at all. But in the meanwhile, you may leave your satchel here and not run the risk of being robbed in the street. If I refuse you tomorrow, as it is probable I shall, I'll send a man with you to see you and your money safely back to Hargu. He touched a bell, and a young man entered. On direction to the banker, the clerk left the room, taking the bag with him while Diane, feeling that her errand had been largely accomplished, rose to leave. You can't go without the receipt for your securities. How do you know I'm not stealing them from you? What right would you have to claim them when you came again? Sit down now and tell me something more about yourself. Half smiling, half tearfully, Diane complied. Before the clerk returned, she had given a brief outline of her life agreeing in all but the tone of telling with much of what Mr Grimston had stated half an hour earlier. It has been all my fault, she declared as the young man re-entered. There has been nobody to blame but me. I see that well enough, the old man agreed, and once more she prepared to depart. Look at your receipt. Compare it with the list there on the desk. Diane obeyed. That her eyes swam so that she could not tell one word from another. "'Is it all right? Then, so much the better. "'You'll find me at the same time tomorrow, if you're not late. "'Since you won't let me thank you, I must go without doing so,' "'she began tremulously. "'But I assure you, you needn't assure me of anything, "'but just come again tomorrow.' "'She smiled through the mist over her eyes and bowed. "'I shall not be late.' was all she ventured to say, and turned to leave him. She had reached the door and half-opened it when she heard his voice behind her. Stay just a minute. I'd like to shake hands with you, young woman. Diane turned and allowed him to take her hand in a grip that hurt her. She was so astounded by the suddenness of the act, as well as by the rapidity with which he closed the door behind her, that her tears did not actually fall until she found herself in the public department of the bank, outside. End of chapter 3